0: Welcome to Zephyr Yoga Inspiration. I offer these podcasts for free and your support really does make a difference and is appreciated. To make a donation, please click the link in the episode description or visit ZephyrYoga.com. As we have started our experience of working with the malas in practice, malas not being the mala beads that we wear around our neck or wrist to do japa practice, Malas that are the stains or impurities over our hearts, our minds, our bodies that limit ourselves by being defined by our feelings, our thoughts, and our actions. So in our last practice, we worked with Anava Mala, which is the stain over a heart that keeps us kind of defined by I am my feelings. And we're working this session with mala which is connected to the mind. It is the ego identity of I know, but it is the stain or impurity that keeps us stuck in our thoughts and our mind stuff that we identify as I am my thoughts. So it's that stain or impurity over the mind that distorts our perception of difference of oneself and other, other and the divine, uh, um, you know, oneself um, and consciousness. It is said to be the knowledge that is impure or distorted through this stain of thoughts that lead towards bias, judgment, prejudice, as there is a perception of separateness or an inability to see unity. So there... (laughs) We kind of experience that a lot of the time when we're running around as human beings, we feel quite homeless and it's usually because the mind has vacated and abandoned its body, its home, <clears throat> and we just don't feel and we think that there is something wrong. And so it's the yoga is the unity of mind to body through the movement pattern of the breath. And this Maimala creates that perception of abandonment, of this being disconnected or alone um, as an individ- individual being in relationship amongst others or source. So... This really um, encourages the mind and our thoughts to be drawn into this compare and despair because we perceive and we think, oh my gosh, everybody else is doing okay and I'm not. Social media is a culprit of this as well and that gives rise to envy, jealousy, anger and there's that sense of, you know, we recognize our thoughts are being conditioned by our culture, our religion, but ultimately, you know, around our family of, like, what to think. And humans are fundamentally tribal beings. We want to belong to a group to survive. However, this gives rise, this Mayimala gives rise to racism, to um, sexism, to classism, to ageism, and other ways in which we perceive difference and feel threatened by it. So this ma'imala, this distortion over the lens of what we see, we start to notice our bias, our judgments, our prejudices. And we're like, wow, that's a really interesting thought. Do I really believe that? So there's a few analogies that really explain this either perception of difference or separation. But ultimately, once we dissolve and clear that, we're all um belonging we all are interconnected so there's one analogy that we have all different candlesticks so you have a different candlestick than i yours might be taller more slender might might be more stubby more round we all have different candlesticks but say for instance i light your candlestick and then i light yours and there is this all of a sudden this realizing is is that is it the same flame or is it a different flame now And there's this kind of, wow, yes, then I perceive, but yours is burning brighter and bigger than mine. (laughs) And there's a separateness, but it's the same flame that came from the same source. It's just in a different candlestick. Or there's an analogy of a continent with many different mountains, and most of these mountains are underwater. However, a few pop above the water line, um, and the peaks are perceived as islands. And if you never look below the surface of the water, you'll never think that these islands are connected. So this Mala is a lot like this. We think everyone's different or unrelated or even independent from each other. And actually, we all are interconnected. And there is this part of us that are just constantly pointing the finger, either in jealousy and envy or in that kind of comparing despairing of like, they have something that I don't have. But we notice that that saying, three fingers are pointing back at us. So what we do in practice is our ability to take our own inventory, to self-reflect and see um, ourselves and starting to own our thoughts, own the stories that we tell ourselves, own the commentary in which we create judgment or bias and that prejudice of separateness or difference. And fundamentally, as we slow down, we start to see that we are all spiritual beings having a human experience. And we are human beings having a spiritual experience. So that is what kind of connects us, that fundamentally, there is an innate goodness. There's a desire within all of us to experience a more joyous, fulfilling, meaningful, happy life and not to suffer needlessly. We're all just trying to get through this human form the best we can. So as we analyze our thoughts, our beliefs, our judgments, we start to question, you know, do I really believe that? Is that something in which I um, am defined by? Am I stuck in that limited belief of, either what I lack or what I have, you know, is that thought true? And then who am I when I'm not trying to be somebody? And what is that? Where is that? And we start to notice that we invest a lot in our own island, but what we perceive is some of us think our island is either better or less than than others around us, or our flames are bigger and brighter than others. But we start to see that fundamentally we're all the same. As you look on underneath the surface, that we're all of an expression of consciousness just in this human form. And we're working through certain karmas in which we're refining um, this lifetime to create a more lasting fulfillment, a deeper contentment within this lived experience and learning how to shape these tools and refine these tools to best skillfully navigate when life throws us up um, pain and suffering. So what we are practicing is to connect to this vastness, something greater, boundless, beyond what we have been conditionally kind of culturally you know, told what to value. There comes a time when our we get quiet enough when we're practicing that our soul is done with this phase of contracting and distorting and reducing ourselves to I am my thoughts. And we begin to turn inwards towards um, our own inner expansion and go beyond those fleeting thoughts and mind stuff and start to Awaken to the clarity to see into the reality of all things. And this is that Shaktipata that I explained last week, which is that descent of power and grace. And it goes from the crown of the head down the Shashumni and then awakens that dormant energy of Kundalini where she then um, arises and ascends back up freeing you from the bondage of your feelings, your thoughts, your actions. And you have this sudden awakening that is said to be experienced as bathing in the light of compassionate love. As waves of blissful energy surge through your embodiment. Or you really just feel that explosion of energy that ascends and um, opens and... uh, you know, like a fountain of unsurpassed joy gets you to awaken to that all-encompassing fullness, oneness, wholeness of being. We call that Pernata. So we're practicing trying to clear these lenses to become more transparent and awaken to a clear path towards this total integration of the divine reality that is around us, within us, as us. And do know that this is not enlightenment, however, it's the beginning of our journey. And it's meant to really, as we have these spiritual awakenings, these aha moments, it's meant to inspire you to continue to practice, to allow your thoughts to arise, however, not get misidentified by them. So as you practice, you're like, wow, that's an interesting thought. Oh, that's an interesting commentary about this pose. Wow, that's an unusual image that, spring up in my mind, that mind stuff that kind of pulls us in. And instead of getting tethered into it, um, we start to use our practice to um, dissolve our attachments to our thoughts and our mind stuff and to clearly see this truth of not just who we think we are, but what we are and what we have always been since the moment you were conceived as you grew you there is something that is unchanging there's an aspect an essence of you that has always been consistent no matter you know what life circumstances are unfolding but what you truly are is said to be the fundamental line layer of all creation which is pure consciousness it's just embodied as you in this form and you know this way in which we clear our mind it accompanies us to all of our roles our duties our responsibilities our you know our dharma and knowing that you and others are interconnected you know, as an expression of this consciousness, just in human form. So we just see, wow, that spirited being is really attached to their human form today. I feel compassion and empathy for them. Or, you know, there is this ability to see when hurt people hurt, this ability to see when people are caught up in this limited self, and then to self-reflect and kind of go, wow, I know that because I I practice with that and I see it within myself. We're no different. We're just you know, embracing our humanity the best way we have. And maybe some of us have better tools than others. So the purpose of sadhana, this practice, um, is to remove the stain of malimala that limits our identity to our mind stuff, our thoughts, and obscures the light of our own inner essence, our own light of our soul, that that Um, human being aspect of us rather than a human doing and as a result of our practice our thoughts are clearly um, perceiving the truth that is deep within us in which we can rely on and entrust in there's this kind of faith that it's going to be okay Um, there's always a beginning a middle and end and there you know this this thing called life is constantly changing, but what is consistent, you as the seeker, connects to that consistent consciousness. And through the le- a clear lens, we know that there is a deeper purpose to our lived experience and that we continue to show up and we continue to celebrate this natural joy of being embodied alive. So there's a few little things that we're going to be doing in this practice, as this is coming from Kashmir Shaivism. It's a very tantric path. Um, We're going to work with creating a Stira and sukkum, a steady, comfortable asana, whatever form. And you can start doing this. But once we have that stirra and sukkum, the text says that we should be um, focusing our attention on something specific, becoming more effortless. So As we focus on first, Sutra 134, Breath Awareness, I want you to breathe from the crown of the head down to the pelvic floor and from pelvic floor to crown of the head. So focusing on breath awareness, inhale as you bow your chin and exhale. Then the second thing, Sutra 135, is to open and become aware of sensation. Now, prana uses your breath as a vehicle. Prana is your vital energy, your life force, and it creates a lot of sensation as you can feel that enlivened presence. And as you draw your prana down and prana back up, Prana is inherently healing. It's inspiring because it brings in light and it's also transformative because it brings in heat. And so we're trying to use that light and heat to clear the pathway that Shashumna as we bow our chin and lift up. And that is the third thing that you're meant to be meditating on in practice and focusing on is light, um, Sutra 136. The Sutra 137 is said to stabilize the mind in its home and in, in its body We use mantra, and the mantra we're going to be using is so on the inhale, hum on the exhale. That mantra loosely means, I am that. I am that consciousness that is perceiving my body breathe, feel, and cultivate light. And in that, we start to notice, oh, I got lost in thought. I'm not my thoughts, and I'm not limited to my thoughts. But I'm just consciousness perceiving those thoughts or mind stuff. And you return back to meditating and focusing your attention on the breath. The little caveat we're doing is Bandha awareness as well. Jala as you bow your chin, inhale, lift your chest, filling the torso. And then releasing Jala as you lift your chin on the exhale. Jala means water. So what the Jala is regulating the inflow and outflow. Now, mula is that root lock to kind of put a plug in it, but it also on the exhale mirrors your breathing diaphragm. So as you exhale, your pelvic floor and breathing diaphragm lift up and on your inhale, your breathing diaphragm and pelvic floor press down. And in that it helps move prana, descending it down and up this practice of yoga is really about prana management. And what we're trying to manage is the inflow and the outflow, but also having a stronger container in which we can hold a greater amount of energy, this flame of our life, this pranic um, light and essence, and have it really clear, the physical, energetic, and mental sheaths in which we can really perceive life uh, more effectively. Another little thing that we're going to be working with in between the kramas is using Ganesh Mudra which um, Ganesh is said to be the remover of all obstacles and he one of his consorts is Saraswati. Saraswati represents um, the skill in knowledge um, in action but also the mastery over the mind and so that ability to use Brahmari Pranayama which is a Kriya practice and it's you close your mouth and chant mm, om and that vibration as we pull our hands removing the obstacles of our mind stuff so we can receive um, a transmission of consciousness knowledge wisdom from source as that Shakti Pata is that descent of power and grace and that Kundalini frees us that Shakti from the bondages of that which creates that limited self and we expand to know our ultimate self. If you would like to continue to practice, find out more information about the topics discussed, or to donate to this podcast, please visit ZephyrYoga.com or follow the link in the episode description. I thank you.